Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by the Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two, whilst occasionally sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing with this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 30th of October 2023 and we step into November this week, don't we? And an observation I'd like to make is that all of the leaves in Norfolk on the trees are still green and fully covering the trees. Don't know what it's like up north, but I'm sure down south it's the same as over here, which is pretty weird. So we need a frost, we need an autumn, we need some of these bugs to be killed by bad weather, but there's nothing on the horizon. And talking of which, the biggest news story of the last week has been the floods and the troubles that certainly some of the lands up north and in the Midlands have had flooding issues. We've had our fair share in Norfolk and there is plenty of water on some of the fields and that is clearly going to impede some of the yields, but largely we're in a reasonably good place, I think, relatively. And doing an assessment of plantings prior to the rain, I think 80% of the wheat area planned for this part of the world has gone in the ground. The bit that's missing is the fields that are going to be following sugar beet and potatoes that are still out there. And I think that is probably the big concern because clearly the, the weather forecast is wet in the near future and the fields are waterlogged. I mean, there's pictures of people dragging grimy machines through potato fields and saying what a wonderful job they're doing, lifting potatoes out of slush, which is doing, you know, they're obviously hiring the land and don't care about what happens next. And certainly it makes the, uh, you know, the claim for sustainability quite a laugh. But yeah, there's, there is a lot of structural damage being done to soil as people panic and get, try and get potatoes and stuff out of really wet fields. So there's issues which will have an, an impact on next year. I think actually I'll, I'll start with that. Let's do the new crop thing. I, I think that's the, the biggest story is the crop for next year is going to be smaller than this year's there is a a number of people who are going to growing flowers we keep talking about and there is clearly going to be a reduced wheat acreage and the crop size this year you know has been called down by the hdb if it comes down to i don't know 13 million tons or something you know we're break even and underlyingly i think that is quite a firm underlying or underpinning type psychology to the crop. So there isn't much downside to new crop. I appreciate if the world goes into a big drop on the 23 crop, which is still a possibility, unlikely, but still a possibility. The sentiment could take it lower, 10 quid, maybe 15 quid, but I can't see that happening. So it's kind of underpinned. And with that in mind, well, you've got to explain to land agents and bank managers that the reason why you don't want to sell at the prices we're at at the moment on new crop. I mean, if you take the futures value for November next year, they're about, I can't remember, £200 a tonne, £202 a tonne. So you're about 185x farm for nov movement. 
explaining why you don't want to sell at that level and it's possibly break even price to someone who's saying you must do something because you're at risk i think you can safely say that cost of production around the world isn't going to get much lower and you know harvests seem to be getting smaller there seems to be more and more weather events which are clearly climate related you know climate change related which means that you've got a reasonable argument to say I, I think the downside is very limited I'd prefer not to sell at the moment but if people insist on you doing something because they actually control you nowadays then yeah they take it on the chin and sell it anyway enough of that new crop underlyingly bullish obviously bigger spring barley crop next year which could impact seed availability and could possibly mean there's too many tons of spring barley but we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it Right, let's get back to this year's crop. Let's talk about all seed rate first. Ben's on holiday, so we kind of stuck a finger in the air and go, spot, rape, 340x, harvest, 350x. I don't want to say any more about it because it's not much point, as you know. But yeah, it seems to be a flat, sideways-going market. I am still underlyingly gut instinct friendly to it, but that's based upon getting it wrong most years. Okay, feed barley has perked up a bit. You can... There's not so much immediate spot movement. I mean, most of the spot movement on feed barley is kind of tied up. So you can get 160x farm for Jan. That's a good price relative to where it's recently been. I think that's fine, you know, get on with it. I don't see feed barley having bucket loads of life in it. But, you know, that's up to you. You can run it. It's, it's not going to be much different to that price, I don't think, unless we see a big rally in everything. So moving on to the bigger issue for us at the moment, which is feed wheat, you can get 180x farm for Jan, as far as we're concerned. Again, deliveries to local homes, which is our preference uh, of marketplace. No export whatsoever. It's going to prove very difficult to sell and move pre-Christmas feed wheat. There isn't much opportunity or space for that to happen. Most people have tied into what they want to do. And I don't think you'll find if you really need to sell some stuff for some money or you need to sell some stuff to get things moving, I think you'll find it is not going to happen very easily. I think you're going to be looking at post-Christmas sales or certainly the prices will relate to a much better price for then, which will tempt you into keeping it that long. So value to Jan, 180, £2 a month increment on that. We'd pay 190x for May, I don't know, 195x for July. How about that? So nearly 200 again, but that's July. Milling wheat premium still good. Don't see that changing. See that, you know, gradually the available good stuff is getting traded because they're very good prices. I see that being something worth probably hanging on to a bit and trading with later in the season. Big story this week, fake news, was that yesterday there was an announcement that the corridor that Ukraine is now using, sort of hugging the coast of Romania, etc., was closed because they were being buzzed by Russian aeroplanes. That turned out to be fake news. So the market went up three and a half quid in a very short space of time and then came back down most of the way. So the underlying threat of war and supply is still there, but it seems to not last as long or go up as much each time we get some sort of bit of news about it. But the news was denied by the Ukrainian government. So it looks like there's 23 cargoes in or are moving at this moment and the corridor is still open as far as they're concerned. So it should be business as usual and should be a market still being supplied. So yeah, that's about it. I think in terms of price movement on old crop grains, it's pretty boring. Oh, I haven't mentioned malting barley. Do beg your pardon. Malting barley is beginning to perk up. There are deliveries coming from farm, not from us, I will add. We've not got any immediate ex-farm stuff going direct to Molster, but there are rejections occurring as people go into their sheds and find various things wrong with it. The germination isn't as good as they thought, they haven't kept it quite as well, or whatever, you name it. The Molster is expecting, you know, 
a silk purse and he's getting a sow's ear. And I did mention at harvest time the realisation of the quality of the crop is going to eventually come to the place where I think they will change their mind. But it is, yeah, there are rejections occurring and, and some of the barley just simply isn't up to spec. There are plenty of cargoes trading out of the UK. The south of England are going to put all their stuff out on boats. So it will get tight and the FOB market, which is the value for European malting barley, is now beginning to perk up again, which again we predicted. So I think as we go into the autumn, there's certainly life in that malting barley market. But the problem for lots of farms is that they've got their moisture level above 14.5 and sometimes above 15 which means they get rejected for that and that that is the magb scale is gone and there is an issue with that so you you, you're going to have to there's mycotoxin tests all sorts of stuff so the quality of the crop is just in the wrong place on so many levels having it at 15.1 on delivery is is just an added misery to make you know sorry out you go sort of job so it's that one has got plenty of life in it because it is and always will be a misery following this year's harvest anyway with that cheerful news yeah great to be back from my holiday we mentioned the podcast walk the conversation this week is is actually just webby and i josh and joe ducked out of actually joining in because they knew a rant was coming so I'll, i'll give you an official rant warning the subject matter is red tractor green tractor and come the revolution at the moment there is a time when the industry is controlled you have to decide who controls the industry and i have got firm views on that how strong is your position within that and the farming community has red tractor has nfu has ahdb and the cooperative sector unfortunately isn't really in a position where it's unified enough to actually make some decisions as well but i would suggest that uh, or my my slant is i think the power is switching if only farmers realize that they're getting into a stronger position because as supply and demand becomes neutral and we go into a geopolitical world of misery and possible supply problems government is clearly not going to listen to history or worry about these things they simply want cheap food to get voted in again yeah well you can listen to the rant or you can turn it off it's up to you with that have a great week Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. We'd like to let you know about the new Dewing Grain website, which is now live and includes lots of new features, including real-time market prices. Having received feedback from some of our listeners that they like to catch up with our podcast at their desk, we will be sending out a weekly farmer's update by email each Monday morning, which will have a link straight to the new episode. If you'd like to receive this, head over to doinggrain.co.uk and fill in your email address. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, drop us an email at podcast at doinggrain.co.uk. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's farm chat. Hello everybody, I am back from my holiday wherever I went, Crete, and it was very lovely, thank you very much. There was no rain, it was 28 degrees, and I came back very cheerful to a nest of lack, well, lack of cheerfulness. So today... We weren't that miserable. (laughs) Anyway, Webby and I are going to have a conversation about the hot topic of the moment, which is red tractor, green tractor. Yeah, this is a bit of a sensitive one, isn't it, really? And it's been... Kind of a very sensitive issue being stirred up. There's a lot of people that are being very public about it and aren't happy for 
various different reasons. Well, let's get into the nuts and bolts of the unhappiness. There is a load of form-filling and data collection and audits and cost attached mm. to proving that we have a good and robust food system mm. in simple terms. Going to the nitty-gritty, but it is the greener farms commitment, isn't it? The original Red Tractor was put in place because of BSE, where the UK food industry was in a muddle. Everyone, mm. The minister was saying beef's perfectly safe, and in fact it wasn't. There was lots of fibbing, people it stretched the truth, and there's a very good radio programme on it at the moment on, on Radio 4, as I listened to earlier on. Basically, people lost faith in what farmers and what food producers were saying because there was no system and there was no trust in what they did. Yeah, yeah. And... So the red tractor, task assurance, trade assurance, call it what you like, came in and it set a standard which has improved things without any shadow of a doubt in the last yep. 20 years. We're now on to improving or trying to save the planet, despite the... It's in every conversation at the moment, isn't it? Well, Sustainability. Despite, despite the yep. western ice shelf of Antarctic guaranteed to melt now, which means yeah. Ben's house is going to be underwater. <laughs> so that's, you know, far bit for me to gloat on that particular victory. The dynamic of it turning green is... Quite rightly, our government is encouraging us and everyone in the UK is, is, is aiming at a target to be more sustainable and use less energy and be nice and green. Yes, yeah. And the new Green Tractor Initiative is the step up from the Red Tractor Food Assurance to mm. prove that you don't use as much energy as you do as you should. I must admit, I don't know the full <laughs> ins and outs of what it, but it, there's an additional, saying it's not an actual physical audit, but there's additional information required to go green let's say yeah which is going to come with more costs and more data provided by the farmer lots more time spent in the office time filling spent, in, yeah filling in forms for someone to come and audit look at and then never look at again till next year yeah. which is a fair criticism because it is some of it utterly futile and more importantly it's being done and we'll come on to this in more depth it's being done at a time where if you read about the trade deal that liz trust did with the australians where she clearly before she did the deal she assured the UK farms that standards would not be undermined with the deal they did. It was a direct lie because the deal she's done allows, in 15 years' time or 14 years' time now, any old shite to come from Australia without any form of assessment. Send in what you like, boys. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And in between now and then, there's a few things sort of holding up. as a limiting tonnage aspect. There's a period of 11 to 15 years where you can see whether it's having a direct impact on farming in this country. But after 15 years, it's dead. That's it. Finished. So, in other words, there's a UK farmer filling in lots of forms, proving he doesn't have slaves, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so he's got on costs of environmental, sustainability, planning permission if he wants to build, develop his business, very high land costs, yeah. trying to meet the expectation of every kid in this country who goes to school singing Old MacDonald had a farm where a cow lives in a lovely green field, yeah. where predominantly they do live in lovely green fields. Yeah. And he's got to compete with someone who can... Yeah undermine and bring in a substandard. I think I don't completely disagree with the incentive or what they're looking to do, but it is their value in it at farm gate. You know, that's that's the thing. I think having the a different standard as a sustainable standard isn't such a bad thing. Having a sustainable standard is brilliant. That's what exactly mm. this, the UK should aspire to to lead and to prove. But if you're going to open up the door and allow people to do nothing like that, so let's outsource our bee killing, let's outsource, let's have hormones in beef, so, you know, what effect does that have on humans after you've eaten the meat? 
Rees-Mogg is prepared to stand up, take the mickey out of normal people as morons and say, yeah. it's very tasty in the NFU, protective mm. as, as an organisation. That is utter... That's not the argument. It's not mm. about being tasty. It's about whether it's doing you long-term harm or your family or, yeah. you know, what does hormones do? Mm. And he's just belittling it and arguing in a very black-and-white manner, which he knows will appeal to the moron in the street. And that, I'm afraid, is where the gloves are off for the extremists like him... Whereas the farming community are kind of polite about it all. Mm. No one wants to upset DEFRA, and DEFRA doesn't want to upset the government, and the government doesn't want to... And so we're all pretending that we're good and we're green and we're very, very nice and positive and we're going to be sustainable and save the planet, whilst the back door's open and people are crowding in with utter shite, which is like having your legs tied together, a 50-kilo sack tied on your back, and then the Australian guy next to you has been given a set of new Nike trainers and say, right, we're going to 100 metres race, ready, steady, go. No hope in hell. You yeah. cannot compete. You're just going no. to be completely undermined. And the general public don't know this. No. I mean, everyone, we need a level playing field. So completely. what's the point yeah. of filling all these forms in if no. the guy next to you has got night trainers on? What is the point? I think one of the... We, we did discuss it. So, I mean, we've, I've seen in the, in the past Red Tractor has been quite well... Well, has been advertised, but does the man on the street really understand what it stands for? You know, it's on packaging, but does it mean that it needs to be pushed harder, really out there in, in mainline sort of media, press? You know, it's an education thing. There should be badges for every kid at school saying, let's kill Australian bees, we don't, we don't care about them, or I love cruelty to animals, or I like my chickens unable to move when they lay their eggs so I don't get any muck on them, let's have Polish eggs not being checked on, on passports. My point about black and white arguments, Rees Mogg and Boris and Liz Truss are prepared to come out with statements which are very succinct and black and white, allaying to being this is going to be good for everybody. Minette Batters was on Radio 4, coming back from the airport on Tuesday, and they talked to her about Polish eggs. And she articulated the argument beautifully. It was very intelligent. She made all of her points very, very well. But she didn't come up with an analogy like my race analogy. Someone understands that. Yeah. You aren't going to win the race because someone's got unfair advantage. She highlighted that salmonella has been found in eggs that have come from Poland. There's no checks on food coming into the country. She made that point, but it wasn't made in a way that went, you know, people are going to probably die because of what the government's decided to do, allowing food in unchecked to compete with us. Then those chickens live in cages and can't move. We're not allowed to do that. We don't want to do that either, but they are allowed to do it. And the consumer who's choosing to buy that product, A, doesn't know, and B because he doesn't know, doesn't care. So therefore, you need to educate the consumer to say, you're cruel, you're really nasty to chickens, you're a nasty person. When you, when you buy that set of eggs from Lidl's or wherever you... They buy British, actually, to be yeah. fair. Right, so if you, from whichever supermarket, it needs to have 25% of the packaging with a massive Australian flag on it. Mm. So it's like a Skoda in the 1980s versus a VW. Yeah. You go, oh, you've a Skoda. It's like, oh, he's buying Australian. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he really doesn't care about animals, does he? Or, you know, look at his children. They look a bit weird. Yeah. He's grown another head. That's what you need to do. Yeah, you need it's, to it's complete awareness. Sh- yeah, completely. Uh, every man on the street should or needs to know. Minette, you're being too nice. Yeah. Farmers Union, you're being too nice. Stop being nice. Be horrible. This is really mm. stabbing you in the back, and you all know it, and you seem incredulously shocked at Liz Truss's ability to fib. Mm. It's happened and it's going to get worse unless you start shocking them. Who is the benefactor in farm assurance? What does the farmer gain out of it? I've got to say, if I'm being cynical, it feels like it's the end retailer is the main benefactor. Yeah, so 
you know, as a farmer, you can't not. But the the real value is in is in retail. Similar to some of the stories we've discussed about the regen story. You know, that feels like it's more retailer led. Well, it's, yeah, we've got McCain's pretending they're sustainable, yeah. and, and potato planting kills yeah. more worms in, in, in one of their 17 parcels mm. to get the land right than anything. It's like, you know, let's all pretend we didn't kill all the worms then. Okay, but our potatoes are sustainable. It's rubbish. Wake up, everybody. The farmer has a clear conscience with the assurance scheme because if he does all those things, he's doing the right thing. That's, yeah. that's a benefit to the farmer, clear conscience. And if they control the process... That would be good. If you ended up with a major conglomerate saying, well, this is our process, and by the way, everything has to come through us, then any premium they pay is going to be sliced off you by the fertiliser, by the chemical, by the whatever they take the claims off. All the money will go to the merchant, stroke the consumer, stroke the end user, that they're all tied into the same thing. So it's big benefits to them, not that many commercial benefits to the farmer in the end. But if they have their own scheme, at least they have some sort of control over how silly it gets, I suppose. And you maintain independence of big companies' specific schemes, which I think will become more and more vital. The big winners, you're right, are the consumers. And that means the merchant, the bigger merchant, who've got consumption tied to them and then the subsequent contracts beyond it. That's where the premium's going to be made. We've got a green tractor on here. It means it's really good, therefore you're paying a premium for it. Be really proud. All our stakes are green tractor. I did. I have sort of like skirted through social media quite a bit recently. And actually, a question that did come up is I don't really know this, but do farmers get fair value from schemes, assurances? They would do if it was valued by the consumer. No, I don't think they do. No, not really. Not with this open door for crap to come in. No, I don't think that. I think that's the whole argument right now. Is this the time to rebel? I mean, at next week's podcast, we've got Tom Clark coming on, who's the chair of the Seals yeah. and also Committee for HDB. He's volunteered to come on, and we're, we're going to have a conversation about the levy. and about. So we're going to be along much of the same subject again. Yeah. What's the point of it all? Is this the time for the rebellion? With that red tractor, though, you, we are talking about non-assured grain. Yeah, right. Naturally, by default, there is premium within that, because non-assured is discounted product. So Yeah, but to what extent? Do, if we've got mm. a product that we aren't exporting anymore production's going down as you've said half the field's flooded and we've got lots of the country going to grow flowers so so production's Mm -hmm. dropping to break even supply and demand you could argue ethanol but that we're a net importer of that so maybe they organize themselves they haven't got to float boats out and then back and forth between europe we could maintain that in the uk if they sort their distribution out what else is there you know if the uk product is largely up to a standard Maybe you could minimise the standard a bit, put it down to a much more simpler form-filling thing and maybe reduce some of this stuff. It's still relevant, but it isn't going to be such an arduous task. It is a task. <coughs> I know I met with a farmer this morning who has, funnily enough, has his audit tomorrow. And it's one of those ones, they just give that look of it's a look of dread. I would say, you know, you go around farms and farms are, on the whole, in a good standard. So I do see so what, what they have achieved has, has actually worked. Without doubt. It has it's, worked. It's improved from my youth to yeah. now to really, really a very professional industry. Mm. No two ways about it. Proper storage, everything is... Which, yeah, which farmers should rightly be proud of being a British farmer because we produce a certain product in the right welfare standards. So I think, yeah, I mean, who loses out is the, is the question. You, who, mm. We've looked at who, who gains from it. It, it, the farmer is the person who loses out in terms of time, in terms of effort, in terms yeah. of doing an audit, filling in forms for something that is only be looked at next year and the form filling is, some of it, yeah. is not relevant. It, the basics of, of hygiene are clear. 
and everyone's become aware of it. You know, so I think we're at a place where farmers are capable of doing that. You do still need proof. Does it need to be so arduous and so cost so costly? There's some debate, but who else? You know, who else loses out? If you have red tractor, maybe the corporations, the big corporations, miss out because they haven't got control. So the farmer maintains control. So they, okay. that, that means they lose out if we have red green tractor tax office. So the big corporations who are foreign owned will make more money and therefore pay less tax than we do or independent merchants do. So maybe that's that the tax office misses out. But largely, it's the farmer. I think. Yeah, I think so. And in terms of the competition aspect, the reason why he loses out if we continue... I mean, this is the, how will he lose out if we don't have some sort of assurance scheme? Well, he's already lost. He's got to be confronted with sustainability, environmental, animal welfare, planning permission, high land costs, mm. high labour costs, etc., 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 versus a country with very low land costs, absolutely no animal welfare within yeah. a spit, environmental issues out the window kill your bees but it is also difficult to know at this stage is so with green tractor what sort of premiums would be achievable or realized if at all if we get to supply and demand break even it's going to be up to the consumption aspect to incentivize isn't it so how do they incentivize do they go for a controlled contract which is what the the big guys are doing you know mm. everything through us mm. so all of your profits going to be sliced or do we get is there going to be enough other consumers who are independent enough to want to have not just that control forced yeah. on them you know what what do they really need mm-hmm. does a feed mill need as much detail on feed wheat as it gets bearing in mind you can buy in you know ukrainian feed wheat if you wanted to and grind it up and it would make perfectly good pig feed thank you very much yeah if we're talking about competition yeah. it, if you're going to be doing australian feed wheat or, or whichever whoever we do a trade with that just chucks any relevance to food. There's no, there is no premium. There is no relevance no. to it. The key, I think, in all of this is government want cheap food to get voted in again. That's that's yep. fundamentally what they're doing. Yep. So Reese Morgan is silly comment about tasty beef. Let's ignore the hormones. Is purely about winning the public over, and the government will have cheap food if they allow cheap shit in the back door, regardless of them then pretending to be green and environmental and we're meeting our standards because we've given all our farmers yeah. some ropes to tie themselves up. But in the meantime, actually, we don't really care. So the government is kind of like the fundamental issue here. They've got to step in and somehow try and protect. Oh, completely. They are going to be the ones that will control everything. Yeah, so, I mean, going back to yeah, preventing products, Josh talked... There was a mention today earlier of a potential carbon tax on mm. some imported products. But that maybe is the leveller, possibly. Yeah. So the, the trade deal they did with Australia said, OK, and we're going to count the shipping costs from Australia to here yeah. as against the, the cost of beef, which is going to push mm. the price up. And the Aussies won't like it, but... Yeah. If- now, that's, that's how I can see our, the, or the markets factoring in a premium. We, or, don't, we don't know whether they're going to be allowed to do that or not, do we? No, we don't know. There's I mean, an awful lot of unknowns going forward. I mean, f- right, food safety. The government doesn't have to worry about food safety on the basis of the recent history since the war, OK? We're now in a fantastically volatile, geopolitical, miserable place. So one would hope the government has a little half an eye on food security. 
today, the market went up £3.50 in about, well, it actually went about four quid from where it was trading because there was a, a Ukrainian corridor down, Russian yep. planes threatening to sink yep. boats. So the corridor is shut and the market's shot up. Now, it's come back down a bit since, but it basically went up. So if that's their tactic in a world where we're genuinely fighting each other, what would it take to sink a ship in the middle of Tilbury and take Tilbury docks out or to sink a ship in the English Channel or... Look at history. History dictates that is the biggest threat we have to this country. So at this point, we have a government encouraging everyone to grow flowers, encouraging alternative countries to have much more competitive edge over our country. And so you're trying to bankrupt farmers or put them into some sort of place where they just have hedges and ready-faced sort of stand there waving at people who have tents in their fields all the time, whatever it is they're trying to achieve, with no food being grown. And all of a sudden, we genuinely step into a conflict. We're screwed which is, so, I don't know, the red tractor argument is critical. We've got to do the right thing, but it has been completely undermined by our government, hasn't it? Yeah, it has, yeah. So yeah. the question, I guess, is, and this is what the debate, and the, and the farmers on Twitter who are saying, I'm sitting here doing this and it's a waste of my time and I can't believe I'm doing it, I'm really tempted not to, and there's one or two farms saying, I'm sod this, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's at that point where, very possibly, they should say, we're not doing it anymore. Yeah, I, yeah. You know yeah, I mean? I, no, I'm not a believer. I, I do, I think there's, there's a few things have gone wrong within this step in recent processes, but fundamentally I do believe what Red Tractor have got in place is a positive thing for mm-hmm. agriculture. We discussed it from general standards. I think going back to having an unregulated kind of... I agree. We'll grow what we want and how we want it isn't but it's it's again it's leveling of you know you have you can import a product that has nowhere near the same sort of regulations in the same place then the same sort of cost because they haven't got the same hoops to go through now that's the unfair element and i think our government needs to level the playing field by you know putting level or some sort of tariff whatever it is to give us a level platform and in the meantime the red tractor team you know and christine tacken has sent a letter round which has created excitement will it be paid for by the market or government incentives or a mix of both i can't see the government putting any money in i th- I, I think no. if, if forced under duress by their voters possibly but largely i think at the very least i mean the education but we did talk about is educating the member of members of the public really what red tractor stand for what that badge really means just getting it out there is an important thing there is a place to have, I can see a place for, you know, the general person wants cheap food. To have a kind of two-tiered awareness of what people are buying. Not everyone buys cheap food, but there is certain people will need cheap food. If it does boil down to, what are you eating? Is it fair to highlight, right, well, you're highlighting the quality of British produce, which is brilliant. Yeah. But if you're only highlighting the quality of British produce, lots of other produce comes in under the radar in the bottom of the frozen food, in the bottom of the pie, in Marks and Spencers, which is not British, which is possibly full of hormones, which is possibly, not, maybe not yet, but, but somewhere down the line. My point being, lots of the food that sneaks in is not the steak you see with the big badge No, but on. it needs to be represented in the, la- in the labelling. That's where it's got to be in the labelling. I see no other way of doing it. So do you then shame people into going, oh, she's buying Australian? Yeah. I think they should. I think you should have a big 25% going Australian flag. It's a bit like the yellow sticker aisle in you know, the supermarkets. That, I mean, I do every now and again pick a yellow sticker them. out. Look, yeah. at, look at poor people. But it's always like, uh, oh, is anyone looking? <clears throat> oh, I'll have that. So, 
<laughs> I don't. I'm, but, I'm unashamedly there, you know, buying the old. Well, food. no, I, I have the view that it's only going to go to waste, and then it's going to go, you know, landfill. And that's that. It's going to go to a hungry is. person home. Really, you go for free. No, to some... I don't think many of them do. Really, I, I think, I think supermarkets do. chuck them out. Oh, that's reassuring, isn't it? But the fact we don't know is quite scary. Right, we better do some okay. research on that. Sorry mm. to you, those of you who are screaming at, at mm. the uh, radio, whatever it is now. Yeah, okay, so back to the, the dynamic of shaming people is not really the way to go forward. But on the other hand, how do you fight re-smog, black, white argument with the morons? And we're all morons in certain fields. Yeah. We happen to know about this subject, but largely the general public are moronic about food. And there's no connection, and they all think the farmer has one cow because mm. he sang it at primary school. How do we do it? We being the whole of this industry. I think the Red Tractor team have got an impossible task. They've got yeah. to fight the cause, and they are quite rightly being pulled to pieces by the people filling in the forms. And the argument against them is kind of not their fault. The rug has been pulled from under their feet. I think there's a feeling that the waiting is more in the favour of the consumer stroke retailer rather than the farmer. And the farmer kind of feels that they want Red, red Tractor on their side more. And I think if they felt there was more support and kind of fighting the farmer's cause, people would feel better about it. So is it possible for farmers to revolt? No. I think there's a, we're showing the early signs of it now at the moment. So what, would, what could they do to revolt? Pull the plug on it and not even recognise the scheme, can they, really? But in terms of how could they achieve a viable future... They're competing with stuff that's really cheap and they've written away, they've saved some costs on the standards and they've got the consumption trade screaming at them saying they're all wrong and idiots. You can't sell it to us. If they all sat there and did not do the scheme and if refused to sign up, the then the consumer would have to buy the they product off yeah, them. Yeah. They'd have to. Ballsy. <coughs> it's not impossible. It's not beyond anything. But, yeah, that would be a mass full-scale kind of... Well, are farmers capable of sticking together? No, because I know what would happen. Someone will see a premium have it and they're like, oh... Everyone else is doing that. They're pulling out. I'm going to sell mine with red tractor and bang and it goes. Yeah, I got I got three hundred. We've had it before. We've seen it. It's with, like the miners. You know, scab, scab, yeah, scab. Yeah. All that stuff. But maybe <coughs> they could generate or create a, a loud collective voice. I, yeah, I, I don't know. But look, NFU, red tractor teams, mm. AHTB, right? Yeah. None of them want to upset Defra. But between the three of them, if they kind of got their heads together and went, right, you know, we're in a we're in a pickle here. We've been undermined by our own government. What can we do? Maybe everyone grows flowers and goes for the government scheme. So the government achieves this fantastic flower thing. And our green credentials are fantastic. The fact we're still having all the resources or more producing the goods so we can eat and it's being shipped here on top of that is not relevant because we've outsourced our climate issue. We're not burning the diesel. We're not pulling, you know, we've done such a good thing. Look how much our emissions have changed. The emissions in the whole world haven't gone down. We've just stopped growing stuff here. That would answer. That would tick all of the green boxes. We could go to any climate conference with Greta and go, look at us. Yeah. And she'd go, well, yeah, what about that plastic crap you buy from crime, from China every Christmas that comes back? Is That's not actually China's mm. poisoning the world. It's you. You're buying the product. It's the consu- Ultimately, the consumer is responsible, isn't it? Yes, yeah. But how do you force them into realising it? You go on strike. You do something... Not that it's worked for junior doctors, on that. I mean, it really <laughs> needs, a, it needs a voice. It needs a profile. Maybe the likes of Jeremy Clarkson. Let's say it needs someone who's got a voice that is will be heard by the person on the street. Okay, Jeremy Graham podcast. Jeremy no, podcast. <laughs> yes, that's, we're there. We're your spokesman, everybody. No, I, you know how can you? In other words, how can you shape consumer behaviour? How can you get them to be aware? 
And I think our badge's idea about, you know, we kill Australian bees because we don't care and we don't like our chickens to move when the eggs are laid, that sort of stuff I think is quite, quite It needs to be country, cool. hard-hitting. and it goes alongside our MAGA hats, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, the, be really rude about the product that people are, you know, and somehow make supermarkets, label it to say this product comes from this country and... Mm. You know, have a stigma to it. Let's be Definitely, aware of yeah. what you are buying. Yeah. Because at the moment, it, you don't realise that it's actually foreign. No, it's not. It's going to be in the small print. It's going to be somewhere. It's just not. It's in the know. bottom of the pie. Yeah. And it's very tasty, I'm quite sure, but just full of shite. I don't know who we've upset this week. We would like to go more into this subject. You know, a prominent local farmer who is part of the Red Tractor team. We've missed him today. We were hoping to get him on the podcast. That, I think, will come after they've had their meeting in a week or so's time. Next week, we've got Tom Clark from AHDB down. And, you know, I'm probably going to give him some questions because he's, he's talking about the levy going up. And I'm going to be along a lot of the main subjects we've got here. And it'll be interesting to see. I'll give him a bit of a prompt. You can see the, my line of thinking, Tom, in advance. But this is the time to be talking about this. And I'm certain someone will tell me I'm sailing close to the wind again on my views. But there is a moment where possibly... UK farmers do need to get themselves together a little bit. I think it's yes, time for healthy debate. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the next week or so pans out. Well, you, if you want to react violently to this particular podcast, I think I'll we'll draw a line under it there. Next Tuesday, which is the day after this podcast comes out, which is Tuesday the 31st at 2pm, October podcast walk will be leaving the car park at Aylsham, which, and the, what three words, if you don't know the way to Aylsham, is Prince's Evaporate Robot. So 2pm, Tuesday the 31st, come and join us. It'll probably be raining like the rest of the week. So bring your anorak or whatever you wear, and we're going to go for a little walk and a little chat. And if you think I'm hideously wrong on this, or you want to have a, a very strong or firm opinion, please join us and, uh, and join in with the fight. So uh, with that, Ian, thanks for... Stopping me from being a monologue rant. <laughs> Thought you held it together pretty well, actually. I think Josh ducked it, and I yeah. think Joe rolled his eyes and went, "No, I don't think so." So yeah, I back on full form, and uh, yeah, have a good week, everybody. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get updates on new episodes and when they are released. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich. 